Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, lads. Thanks for tuning into the podcast again. Don't forget to like and subscribe and head over to the Patreon to contribute and help us out. Thanks a million and enjoy the podcast. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Two Norries podcast. As always, I'm your host, James Leonard, joined by my good friend, Timmy Long. Um, how are you, Tim? And this week we have a very positive guest, if I can say that. Miss Fiona Brennan, a clinical hip, a clinical hypnotherapist, a best-selling author. Um, you're a speaker, um, among other things. So that's the modest um, introduction. So there's much more to you than that, but you know, in a nutshell, that's who you are. So... For the people that don't know you, uh, just before we get into your work, maybe a little bit about who you are and where you're from, where you grew up. Sure, James. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, lads. It's really lovely to meet you both. Um, And my background really, I suppose, you know, I'm someone who has suffered from chronic anxiety myself in my younger years. Um, uh, Certainly, I would say the teenage years were pretty tumultuous. And if you were to ask my mother, I would say she would probably agree Um, (laughs) because mothers can tend to to get it quite hard, uh, you know, if there is a sense of of, um, anxiety or unease, let's say, in a person. I think a mother can tend to be the person that, that gets a lot of the brunt of that because of the nature of the close relationship. So, um, yeah, I, I suffered quite badly, to be honest with you. I mean, and I suppose what that has done for me um, has allowed me to do the work that I do today. I believe that I'm not glad that I, I suffered uh, quite a lot with, with chronic anxiety um, and it's not something I would wish on anyone, but it is something that I, I truly understand from a from a personal and now a professional level. And I feel that that personal understanding of what it's really like physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, the impact it has on our lives in terms of our relationships, in terms of our the choices we make in our lives. I feel that that wealth of experience really stands to me today in terms of my ability to relate to my clients, to write my books, to give my talks, to do the work I do. And, you know, I absolutely like I'm I'm totally in love with with the work that I do. Um, I'm, I'm totally in love with myself as well. And the reason for that is that I, I feel so proud of, of how far I've come, I suppose. Um, and I've I've experienced that transformation within. And I've seen that then in my work with literally thousands of people at this stage, you know, from my one to one work and then my online work. I've got a a five year old. um, It's like a baby, a five year old, a five year old online program called The Positive Habit uh, that has helped 
thousands of people all over the world. And then, of course, through my books as well. So I feel that um, it's something very tangible, you know, that word to, to, to feel, to experience the transformation and then to see it reflected in so many other people. That's just, for me, pure joy and such a gift to be able to, to do that work. And the word transform, I just heard recently, actually, is very interesting because it comes from um, the idea of trans as in above physical form. So above the vis- above physical, if you like. And I think that's essentially what where true positive shifts come. And that is when we really move into a higher level of consciousness. And I feel that is something that I am operating from now. And if you look at, for example, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the idea of self-actualizing, of reaching our potential as human beings, I feel that I am on that course and I work really hard to help bring as many people as I can on that journey. And, you know, in Ireland, that can come across as very egotistical in the sense of I love myself, I'm self-actualizing. And even saying it, even though I feel it, there is still that hesitancy there that somehow we have to kind of pull back a little bit, you know, that we can't be too positive, we can't be too big for our boots. And ultimately, I believe that we have to be, especially in a society and the conditioning where there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of guilt in our sort of um, collective consciousness, if you like. And we need to really work together to overcome that and that we can put our heads up high and say, yes, I do love myself. I love myself because I love you and I love you in the sense that we're all connected. So, if I say that I don't love myself, it's actually an insult to everybody else also. So in a sense that it is selfish not to love oneself because that will stop us from really contributing to the world and loving others. In recovery, yeah, in in recovery, in recovery, we say like that um, you have to be selfish about your recovery because if you're not in solid recovery, you're no good to your family or your employer or your community. And you have to really, it's kind of of similar, you know, if you don't love yourself, how can you be of benefit to anybody else, you know? Absolutely, James, yeah. You know, um, you, you spoke about guilt there and shame a lot and you focus a lot of that you know how do you actually deal with people that have really really ingrained shame and guilt you know something that would be uh, passed on intergenerational stuff how do you because that stuff is deep deep very very deep and some people don't actually even understand what it is or where it came from because it's passed on to us as kids you know and how do you as a clinical uh, hypnotherapist deal with something like that, Fiona? Great question, Timmy. Well, I work as a hypnotherapist with the subconscious mind. So it's very effective in terms of getting at those deep uh, beliefs, limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves and the world. So someone who's carrying a lot of guilt and shame, like you said it yourself there, they don't understand it, right? Where is it coming from? And it, generally sort of materializes in I, I'm not good enough. Okay, so that's, that is the, the, the most common negative belief that I, I hear almost daily 
whether it's in, you know, one to one or in a message or whatever, I just feel like I am not good enough. So this is not good enough feeling is a feeling of lack in some way that somewhere along the journey of life, that person has felt that they are not worthy or not deserving or less than. So together, like if I have the um, honor or the opportunity to work one to one with someone, I'll really sort of it's almost like you know, I like to think of it as a compassionate detective, like we're, we're trying to understand, right? And we're trying to break it down. And we're trying to look at all of the different influences that could have played out to where that shame and guilt first started to form. Because, you know, I don't believe for one moment that we're born with it. Like, you know, when you see a newborn baby, they are not struggling with a sense of, I'm not good enough. They, they have pure and utter acceptance of themselves and they are well able to express whatever it is that they want without fear or shame. So it comes later in life. And again, there doesn't have to be any really specific trauma. You know, a lot of my clients will feel guilt that they don't have a trauma, that they can't put their finger on it. What's wrong with me? You know, why, why am I like this? Um, and it can be just very subtle. Uh, different sort of nuances of experiences that add up to this feeling. Having said that, it can also be, you know, a trauma or neglect. Of course, that is generally more sort of easy to pinpoint because you could say, well, you know, at two years of age, my my father died or whatever it might be that that happened. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a it's a case of understanding what's subconscious and then bringing it to the conscious mind because as long as it stays unconscious it is in many ways dictating our behavior dictating our choices and we're una- we're unaware of it so we've got to bring that up and then we've got to bring it out and then we, we we're in a position then where we can actually start to move forward and how so is sorry Jim. go on tim go on tim uh, is there do you use hypnotherapy to bring it out Yes, yes. So, for example, to be more specific, like I would use inner child work where I might go back and visit the child that is wounded. Um, you may know of uh, parts therapy, you know, where you, you visit the different parts, IFS, internal family systems. Mm. Um, Schwartz, sorry, it's coming to me now. Richard Schwartz is his name, I think. Schwartz. Uh, yeah, very interesting because what we do is we examine the sort of parts of ourselves that have been, let's say, put into exile or orphaned um, that we're ashamed of. And we hide that part. So we have a great sense of not wanting the world to see that part of us. And what I do is I want and to really encourage and help my clients to love the part that they're so afraid or ashamed of to actually bring them out of the darkness and to see that they have a wonderful message and it's our job to listen to that message and help them. Gabriel Mathis said the exact same thing last week in the podcast. He said, don't run from that thing that you're fear from all or shameful of. He said, that thing is the one thing that kept, kept you alive at some certain stages of your life. He says, embrace it, love it and just try to make friends with us you know um so it really really yes it, it, it integrates with what you're saying here it just makes so much sense you know 
And I think amazing what you're man, talking... Amazing man, Garbal You're so uh, amazing to have met him. I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm sure he'd like to have a chat with you about your work or some stage if you uh, um, yeah. made the offer. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. I no, like your style, Timmy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we never, we never put any limits on anything, Fiona. You'll be, you, you'll be happy to know that. You know that's, that's the yeah. that positive energy, like, and it's about like, and I work in addiction services, and I meet with people in addiction. Even it was sold to me when I come into early recovery. There's again, there's a saying in recovery: um, you can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. That's what you're told. And my idea of that, when I was sitting in my meetings for the first few weeks, was like. Ferrari, a millionaire, you know, this that was my idea. But then as I matured and then I, you know, started doing, I got a bachelor's, a master's, doing a PhD, got a beautiful wife, a nice car, a good job. It began, you know what, that's what it means. That's the life beyond my wildest dreams because I could never have imagined that. But I always, I always was very open to receiving. I never limit, never put any limits on anything. And we do that with the podcast. And we get some amazing guests, including yourself, you know, that we, we just reach out and people are happy to do it, you know. But it's, I think that, that's kind of in line with a kind of a positive mentality, it isn't is. it? It is. It's a mindset, absolutely. And it's about just having that faith and belief that what you put out into the world, you're going to get back, you know. And it's, in a sense, like you don't attract what you want, but you attract what you are. So you're putting that love lovely positive energy out and then that's what's going to come back to you so yeah i, I absolutely uh and is it is, is it is it a part of your work to try and instill that bit of positivity or belief in people that may tend to have a more negative outlook a hundred percent yes yeah i work very hard at that because i've studied a lot of positive psychology and what that is really about as i'm sure you're aware but maybe your listeners might not be so much is that it's it's really about not fixing what's wrong with humankind but how can we actually move forward that we're not just sort of at this point where we're you know we're doing okay you know that kind of nothing so bad we're not in anxiety we're not in depression but we're just kind of it's almost like the half live life you know it's not we're not reaching our potential and positive psychology is about well what can we do to start moving forward what can we do to flourish what can we do to thrive what can we do to create positive emotions and what we now know and we know so much more than we've ever done about the brain neuroscience etc is that these emotions we can create them self-directed neuroplasticity that we can actually become our own little scientist inside our, our our bodies and our minds and create dopamine serotonin you know all of these things that are sold to us in in um, chemical drugs for example we make them and that's there's nothing more empowering than that and, and that's what I was really saying earlier in terms of being proud of being able to create and then sustain those feelings. I think that's the real skill that, yes, we can feel joy, but how can we actually really hold on to that and allow that to become a sort of default subconscious uh, state? So we're, we're turning um, states into traits, you know, so that it becomes more of a, of a continual um, way of life and that we start to, and that's why the word habit you'll find is in my title, the positive habit, the self-love habit, because habit is where we've got an automatic um, behavior, whether that's brushing our teeth or whether that's waking up saying, I believe in myself and I'm going to reach my potential today and I'm going to bring out the best in myself today. It's a habit. 
habits can be formed, habits can be broken, you know, so it's really empowering, uh, I think, for people to know that they can do that. I think something you touched on there, we spoke about a few weeks ago with a probation officer we had on, it was about um, people that have maybe, uh, they're not in addiction anymore, they're not in prison anymore, um, they're better than where they were, but they're meandering along, kind of settling for, they might have way more potential to have a lovely, great life, but they kind of, they're stuck in that kind of not so bad, but not so good space, you know, and it reminded me of a book, um, you might be aware of it, Escape from Freedom by Eric Fromm, it's a philosophy book, but you know, he, he says like that, people's biggest fear is not to have freedom, it's to truly embrace it, you know, and to take the risks and to go to live the life, you know, so... Um, I think something like your book and, and your type of therapy would really be beneficial for those people. And we link all your books in the description and we link it on the website as well. Like, I love a, a kind of a, a practical manual to how you can actually, it's not just a great piece of literature, you know, there's things that you can do. And you would always kind of encourage stuff like mindfulness and meditation too as part of the habit. Absolutely. I think that awareness is where we start and it's where we end. We we're, we're, we're nothing without it. We're just, you know, sort of, we're on a kind of uh, automatic mode where we're not really able to, to, to make conscious choices. So we need to have that level of training. Mindfulness meditation allows us to, to learn about ourselves, to learn about what are our triggers? How are we reacting as opposed to responding? So, yeah, I mean, I call it like the now habit, for example, and the ability, it's such a skill, it's such an art, it's such a, a, a gift, really, to keep coming home to the moment. And that's where you're able to then, you know, elevate uh, and choose your response. The so first, I can actually, yeah, sorry, Timmy, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, is, is life really begins when you feel uh, that first glimpse of awareness, you know, that no feeling, the present moment, you know, um, when you actually experience that for the first time and you realize that, you know what, I actually don't need to be caught up in my head all the time. And what's this voice telling me to do this or calling me that or criticizing me because I've done this, which is the ego. It's when you notice that, that's when you're on your journey to understanding how we work, you know, in terms of how the mind works, how it constantly wants to be chatting and telling you to do this or you're this or that or the other. That's the journey to, um, I won't say enlightenment, but spirituality to really getting a real sense of peace within yourself, you know, um, and, 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 and the key for some people in addiction um, is that little glimpse of awareness, the first glimpse of awareness uh, that tells you it doesn't have to be like this anymore, mm. you know? Um, yeah, exactly. It's kind of almost like, I think I, I compare it in, in my book, I can't remember which one now, but I actually say the idea of, you know, it's like, you know when there's a radio in the background, right? And you're trying to have a conversation and you're kind of, it's really loud, but you keep talking anyway. And then you go, hang on a minute and you turn off the radio, right? And then, oh, it's like a sigh of relief or the fan and the oven's really loud and you just go, I don't need that on. It's not necessary. I've done the cooking or I've listened to the radio. Turn it off. And the ability to do that in our minds is like the same, like it's that same sense. The shoulders go down and the nervous system relaxes and now all of a sudden I'm at peace and I can actually really bring all of myself to this moment 
as opposed to half of me that's caught up in my mind, which is very actually connected into anxiety. Because when we're we're not present, when we're so caught up with that chatter, Timmy, that you're talking about, well, then it's very um, anxiety inducing because you start to doubt yourself. You start to say, what was that that he said? I can't really remember. So now I'm trying to play catch up because we're not really listening. We're, 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 this is so loud in our mind, you know, so it just, if there's so many different ways that it, 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 um, we benefit from it in terms of our self-esteem, our confidence, all of these things are actually raised because of that really foundational skill of awareness, mindfulness, being present. That's, that is the bottom line. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Most definitely, I agree with you there. Do you know when you were, do you know when you were talking earlier on about when you were a teenager and you had anxiety and it caused conflict with your mother or your parents? Um, I know of a few people in that situation. You know, and you're right, much you were saying the mother bears the brunt of it. Have you any advice or tips, uh, maybe for the parent and the the child in that situation of how to work through that together? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I just had to write um, an article on this for the business post about it was an inquiry of a teenage son and how could he was having rages and what were they going to do when they were at the end of their tether and it was a battle, etc. And I have a 13 year old son myself. So I was like, well, this is this is good. Right. I can actually, you know, really um, learn from this and and examine my own behavior. And I think from a parent's perspective, we need to look at you know, is our own inner teenager, for example, being ignited? And, you know, are we the one rolling our eyes up and being negative and giving out about our child? Because unfortunately, that is something that I will hear a lot of is where parents will speak very derogatorily about, if that's a word, derogatorily, derogatory about <laughs> their children, um, whether they're teenagers or younger, and they'll say, oh, they're lazy or they're not, you know, they're so annoying or they're difficult. And that is pure toxicity because the child is going to soak that in, right? They're going to hear it, even if it's not in their, you know, general, like yeah. they're not saying it to them. It might be on the phone to the sister or, the, you know, and we've got to use, we've got to be so careful of the language we use around young people because they're such formative years. And what we want to do is be very, very patient. And we've got to understand the teenage brain in terms of how much development it's going through. So, you know, it's really about, getting yourself as strong, as centered, as mindful as you can so that you're not reacting, you're not giving out, you're not getting sucked in. And then I think we need to give so much space to, to young people. If they're suffering from anxiety, there's going to be a reason. And, you know, it could be something that's going on at school. It could be earlier childhood trauma. There's there's going to be something behind that. And we really want to be in a case as a parent where we're not judging the behavior. You know, so a teenager can shout at you and, and scream and, and, and slam the door. And it takes a huge amount of patience and emotional intelligence to be able to tolerate that. Not to say that that's OK or acceptable, but not to actually start to counterbalance and, and, and get involved and, and um, behave in a similar way. So it's really about becoming the adult and knowing that the time is going to pass. 
Now I have a 13 year old, so I, you know, talk to me in a few years. <laughs> I might be saying something different. I might be going, Jesus, God help me. But you know, at the, so far so good. He's my little angel um, and can do no wrong. So, you know, it, it just, it just, um, uh, is, is, is a skill. And it, again, it comes from a relationship with ourselves. Maybe in a if in a few years we get you back on the podcast and your bu- your beautiful blonde hair will be as grey as your carpet. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, exactly. Yeah. What you, what you said there is really really good because like we have a fourteen year old daughter as well at the moment. Myself and my wife and um, okay, like a lot yeah. of what you said, it, like everybody is going to be able to relate to what you just said, and a lot of people are going to take it on board. And hopefully positively, positively, you know, because um, what you said about talking on the phone, saying, Jesus Christ, she's so lazy or um, her tantrums or, or his tantrums or whatever. I believe that they don't even have to hear us, that it's just the energy that we're putting out there into the into the universe or whatever. Yes. That is just bad enough in its own sense. They're going to pick it up. Of course they are, because it's coming from you. It's like if that's within you, that frustration or that, you know, those that negative energies in you, it's going to come out Um, and that they're going to feel that. And that's very, very tough to be kind of categorized in that way. Um, Yeah, I was thinking of a theory that I learned in college there when you were speaking about, you know, when um, you have a child that's maybe been aggressive or, you know, their anxiety and you have to stay, kind of meet them as an adult. Um, I don't know, I know we talk about theories, but I did a lecture in UCC and on his door he had a sign, there's nothing more practical than a good theory. But this theory is definitely practical because I don't know if you've heard of it, Transactional Analysis by Eric Byrne. It's kind of similar to internal family systems, but transaction analysis looks at your relationship, your interactions with family members and, and, and everybody else. But it's always based from three uh, standpoints, the parent, the adult or the child. So if you're met with um, a child that's been uh, being a child, you know, been complaining and moaning and stuff like that, and, and you meet that in, as a critical adult, you know, it's just going to be conflict mm-hmm. you know and like you you always have to try and stay in the adult you know like if you meet that child as the a, a hurt child as as a critical parent it's always going to end in conflict and you can translate that into any um even in your professional context in your work or whatever you know if you have an employee that's upset you have to stay professional you have to stay in the adult and resolve it but you could be the same at home you know you don't don't start shouting and roaring back at the child you know you stay level-headed be the adult and work through it that way you know but that's a very accessible theory and the book is very accessible too and look we'll link that as well um it just gives you we actually got that seminar when we were in residential treatment from one of the councillors, you know, and you, be, you, re, you really begin to get a bit of awareness around your own behaviour. It's like, um, you know, like, I don't know how your family system is like, Fiona, but let's say if we keep it to myself, right? I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a professional. I work in as a professional capacity, you know, all these things. And um, I, I regard myself as a quite centred man. You but, you know, be, when, yeah. you know, when you go home for Christmas dinner, and the politics of the family, I slap back into that role that I had as a child, you know. Yes. And it's just, when you have an awareness, is one thing, but sometimes you can't help it. <laughs> 
Well, it's like, I only said this yesterday, that it's like uh, Eckhart Tolle, you probably know Timmy, uh, his work is amazing. And he Mm. said that you think you're enlightened until you go home for the weekend. It's true. (laughs) And there's the triggers, right? And that is, you know, I I often say with with my clients who are working with, with family members they find very difficult is they are your greatest teachers. I know it's very Mm. hard, but when you shift your energy, right, what happens is organically, slowly and subtly, that energy will shift within that relationship also Mm. because you're not omitting that frustration or that disappointment. And your awareness, your level of awareness has got to be so high so that it's like you can see the booby traps coming up, Mm. you know, the comment or the Mm. comparison or the whatever it might be um, that you're a step ahead and that you're applying a, a big bucket load of compassion towards yourself first and foremost mm. and then towards the the other people in in the family and um, so you know I even like I would do visualizations for example in that uh you know uh, example where if someone was having a, a Christmas dinner coming up with a difficult family member for example I'll walk my client through that right step by step by step so that by the time that actually comes they've mentally rehearsed it like an athlete you know performing you've done it so that when it comes you're already primed you already know ah okay so this is where you know the third glass of wine that Auntie Mary has or whatever it might be is the one that usually starts things turning well you're you're ahead of that and and that's the way we need to work with ourselves, uh, certainly in the beginning when we're making that shift. But the beautiful thing is that it becomes more and more automatic. It becomes more and more subconscious the more that we acknowledge our progress. And that's another thing I'm very um, sort of determined to help people with is to always acknowledge progress. Otherwise, it's not going to continue. We need to be very mindful of saying, well done. So in that example, the Christmas dinner for the first year, maybe in 10 years, there wasn't a drama. There wasn't a, you know, whole big, you know, hoo-ha, EastEnders wasn't on that night, which is a relief, right? Um, and to, to, to feel that and to go, wow, you know, that's empowering. I actually helped that to become a more pleasant um, evening for everyone involved. So acknowledging progress and recognizing it and being proud of yourself is, is very um helpful yeah do you know um as things start to open up in ireland now again after the very long lockdown people might have a lot of anxiety you know around returning to the office starting back up with the sports team with a few extra pounds for children interacting face to face again um are you seeing more clients kind of presenting to you with anxiety issues around that and have you any kind of practical advice for those uh, maybe experiencing anxiety about the return to normality because we can get comfortable in our homes but just kind of um it's not a natural comfort um comfort yes yeah well i i have to say just to rewind a tiny bit like i i've never worked so hard in terms of helping people in the last year so anxiety levels, you know, are through the roof. It's, it is a pandemic in its own right in terms of people's fear. Um, and then again, we're moving into a new period right now. However, what I would say is that whatever level of anxiety a person had before COVID, okay, so if there was a mild level of anxiety, let's say it would have been more intense uh, during that period and certainly with lockdowns. 
for those people who found lockdown a relief, right, you've got to ask the question, why? Why was it a relief? I've had so many clients who are delighted with lockdown in the sense that it it, it really solved the problems of uh, having to interact, of having to deal with difficult family members, of having to um, go into the workplace, give presentations, whatever it might be. All of these things were all of a sudden cancelled, right? So it's almost like one client told me it was like a, a sort of a dream come true, right? Uh, in the sense of that uh, onus now being taken off. So therefore, what we've got all like take COVID out of the equation, right? And what you've already got is 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 anxiety by itself. Okay, so you've got contextual anxiety, and then you've got a much stronger chronic underlying anxiety. Um, so when you take the context away and the anxiety is still there, well, then that's something that needs attention. So for people who are coming out of lockdown and are feeling anxious about that well then that was something that was there already hmm. that's my point does that make sense yeah yeah it what it's not lockdown it's not whether we're in lockdown or we're not in it's, lockdown it's been there all the time that anxiety it, 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 the lockdown just brought it back up you know yeah or or even our, gave, our, a respite. gave it worse yeah yeah but now that it's it's now we have we are thankfully coming out of it hmm. it's now intensified if you like hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, I I just want to bring it back a little bit there um, about, about the love thing that we were speaking a bit earlier because I think that's that's a massive massive thing for people. A lot of us don't. We all say, "Oh, I love you" and whatever, but um, a lot of us wouldn't have any love for ourselves in in a way that you're speaking for it and me on a personal level i would have never ever experienced it either until um i i use plant medicines uh, particularly ayahuasca and it was my first experience of um uh, feeling love i never ever felt love before that you know, my wife loved me unconditionally, my kids and whatever, but I would have told them I loved them consistently, but like there was never any love there for myself, you know, never. But when I, when I done the ayahuasca and I felt this amazing sense of love for myself, you know, um, it was like I got love from a mother, from, from a true mother unconditional love and, and and what that done for me was it gave me the sense of what love really felt and I was able to take that home with me then you know and yeah. that's when I started to really really love my wife you know unconditionally you know Beautiful. but like um your therapy mm-hmm. right my point is does your therapy through the hypnosis, can you bring something like that out through hypnosis as well? That's my, that's my point. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very powerful technique to, let's say that feeling of love, right, that you experienced in hypnotherapy. What it really is, 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 is shutting down the conscious mind and all of the, you know, noise and getting into the subconscious and getting to a place where there's that more peace and that quiet and therefore intensifying. It's almost like getting that beautiful feeling that you're talking about and allowing yourself to really feel it going through every, you know, uh, fiber of your being. And, you know, 
essentially that's so interesting to me what you're saying because you were saying that you're kind of you know yes you were going through the motions of saying I love you to your wife I love you to your children and I'm sure of course you did but there was a disconnect there and that disconnect was maybe the piece of you not including yourself in that picture and until we really love ourselves in that sense we are disconnected from from the people that we do love it's not to say we don't love them but we're not able to really relate in that deeper way and you know it's like um i heard wayne dyer say this if you know his work and he talks about Mm. you know um what happens when you squeeze an orange juice what comes out well, what comes out, lads? Juice. <laughs> yeah. What kind of juice? Orange juice. Orange juice. Uh, yay! <laughs> Brilliant, right? So we don't get apple juice. We don't get pineapple juice. Right? We don't get it. We get orange juice. So think of that in terms of love. If there's love inside of us and we're squeezed, what comes out? Love. love. Mm. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like I, I remember always saying I love them. And my understanding of love back then was... Um, Giving my life for my family, giving, giving, if, if I ever needed to give my life, I would have, I, I could have gave my life for my kids and my wife in, in, in a heartbeat, you know. But my new understanding of love is, is looking at somebody and getting this really strong, f- strong feeling of, you know, oh my God, you know. I never experienced that previously, uh, Fiona. So that's, that's, what yes. I wanted to, to get into because a lot of people do go through their lives without ever experience anything like that. And I would have probably went on like that for a long time as well. Only that I was able to break through during an ayahuasca session and, yes, um, well done. A, a, and break through all the, the critical mind, the, 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 the forefront mind, the conscious mind and just get into my subconscious and, and yeah. be with myself and just, Beloved, I, I actually cried, mm-hmm. laughed, and hugged myself that night for about six hours inside the the bed. Um and it was just a roller coaster ride for me. But I, I, I trusted the experience, I trusted in the medicine. Mm-hmm. Um well done. And it was an amazing experience. I don't know what your 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 kind of thoughts are on that stuff in your field of of, of, of uh your area, but um, I know a lot of people that similar experiences has happened to them and it's helped them to kind of move on to the next level of life, you know, so. To break through. Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I would go as far to say, Timmy, like that it's not even that you love yourself or you love your wife. It is that you are love. Right. And so that every being that we meet, we have that feeling. So that the homeless person on the street is someone that we care about as much or as less as anybody else, you know. So there's a real interconnectedness as a sense of awareness that we all have that within us, that we are all spiritual beings. And I think that's where you you emanate a different uh, from a different level of consciousness that is really so powerful and so needed in the world. And the more people yeah. that have that, you know, the the more peaceful and beautiful the world is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things Timmy said there as well was around, um, you know, trusting the process and really kind of surrendering to it. Is that a big part of your work as well? You know, you, I, I imagine it being hard to work with somebody as sceptical. Oh, yeah. Good question. Yes, absolutely. 
Well, I would say that any therapist, right, no matter what sort of tool or, you know, if you're whatever kind of medium you use, whether it's, you know, plant-based drug or whether it's uh, psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, it doesn't matter. And the real thing that matters, right, is the connection to the therapist. And there's been research on this where they look at CBT and they look at all these different types of therapy. And essentially, if a client feels safe with their therapist, non-judged, that there is a sense of being able to truly express yourself, then the therapy is going to be successful in the sense that you are now in a place. And that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking to be accepted for who we are. So you can see I'm in my office uh, here this evening. And, you know, when I meet a client for the first time, quite often they'll cry and they'll have a huge amount of shame and guilt about that. And they'll, they'll be mopping the tears and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I promised I, I, I promised I wouldn't cry. And all I can say is, thank you. I'm delighted that you're crying. And I don't mean that in a sadomasochist say, way, but it means that I know that I can help you. Mm-hmm. Because it's the clients who are who are very frozen and disconnected that our work, we can still work and I will still be able to help that person to the best of my ability, but I know it's going to take longer mm. and that's okay too. But it's, it's the sort of irony, if you like, that people are so ashamed of their tears or fearful of their tears or see them as a weakness and our tears are our greatest strength. There's such a release, you know, yourself when you have a, a cry, you feel like the, the it's just like a cleanse isn't it it's like having a shower you feel better you know it's gone now we've moved it out of the body and that's what emotion needs to do it needs to move out of the body otherwise it's stagnant and it rises to disease and um, will cause all sorts of of physical um, issues also Uh, so blocked energy it's is very toxic for us so letting ourselves cry and having the courage to do that is is uh remarkable and and something i don't think anyone should be ashamed of um mm. i even though i even though i know it's not to be ashamed of i still find it very hard to actually you know if i feel like crying i i i find it very hard to let go the last time i cried was about seven years ago i was after speaking at a conference before i had any public profile now when i was quite private and I spoke at the conference and I was quoted in the newspaper, you know, when they weren't supposed to, you know. And some of the information that got out, my family hadn't known about. And it just brought up a lot for me. Do you know what I mean? I felt very exposed. And I remember mm-hmm. I just broke down one day on the phone to my mother, you know, and I, I cried like I never cried before for about 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, my God. But it was a lot of it, it, it kind of did me a favour in a way because it brought me closer to my family and there was more understanding and healing in it for all of us, you know, because I probably would have never disclosed what I disclosed to the in, in the confines of that thing that was meant to be anonymous. Probably would never have said that, but it helped me to move past it and kind of accept it and kind of move away from the judgment and the shame and all these things, you know. So, But I know in my conscious mind there's nothing wrong with crime, but I still find it very hard to kind of surrender into it though. I can imagine. Yeah, that's really interesting, James, because it, what happened there is that it, it was no longer repressed. So there was would have been a sense of relief and release, even though it came out in not great circumstances. It must have been very, you know, um, healing. However, like when you say that it's it doesn't come easy to you, you know, again, that is a gender issue quite often that that men are programmed and conditioned not to cry 
you know, as I said, I have a son and, you know, <laughs> even as I say it, I know he'll kill me because he can cry very easily, but he doesn't want the world to see that. And that's today, never mind when you guys were growing up. So it's very, very um, prevalent in, in the sense that, you know, for example, if a 13 year old uh, girl falls and hurts herself, she'll cry and everybody will come to rush to her and say, all right. And, you know, there'll be a lot of sympathy and etc. If a 13 year old boy cry falls and hurts himself the same pain you're back up and you do not show that emotion right because you're a lad and you're a boy and you've got to be strong and you could be in absolute agony but you're not going to say it so so that's the physical side of it but the emotional side is just as strong and just as prevalent so it is it is definitely a conditioning a conditioned um response and I think, for example, people like Niall Breslin are fantastic at breaking that. And the more men we have, Keith Walsh is another one that um, I was working with recently. And he's, uh, you know, again, wonderful to, to hear men. And like you, just like Timmy there expressing himself, crying. like that is amazing. And we need more and more men actually to stand up and say, yes, I do cry. Of course I do. You're no less human than a woman. Of course, you're going to feel that emotion. You, you know what's fantastic? When you see a real tough, hard man crying, you know, like, yes. say, for instance, growing up there, we, we would watch Vinnie Jones as the tough man of football, right? I seen him on a documentary there recently. I don't know his wife was after passing as well from cancer. Mm. But he actually cried for most of that interview. And for a man like me who would have classified himself as a really tough man back in the day because of my own uh, experiences growing up and whatever else, I it really changed my whole perception of, of the, the masculine kind of uh, authority we had to, you know, show in, in society. Um, and it was great to see it, you know, and, and I'm not afraid to show emotion on the, on the podcast, which is, you know, um, and even with my own son, you know, the only time I tell him to stop crying is when he's not getting the ice cream that he, he wants out of the freezer. <laughs> you know, that's the only time, you know, but I yeah. always encourage him to, to let it out when, when he's crying, when it's an emotional thing. Yeah, his pet hamster died there no last Christmas and it was his first kind of interaction with, with grievance, you know, and we, we had to kind of bear with him and leave him cry and talk to him and we buried it, you know, the thing is outside the door on a, a flower pot or something like that, he have a night light and all out there, <laughs> he has a little, he has a little uh, statue and all of a hamster on top of this thing, you know, but, uh, <laughs> But like that's, that's real healthy kind of it's it healthy stuff and 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 myself and my wife who's fantastic with with, with it and um, we always encourage him to 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 leave out whatever way he's feeling and 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 for an, a 10 year old to be able to explain to me and my wife when he's feeling sad anxious um a little fearful you know that's amazing that's like that success, he can feel those Jimmy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is because, like, when I was his age, um, I was complete introvert, caught up in my head, no emotions. I was completely numb. I was after shutting off from the whole. I was shut completely off at a young age, you know. And, and to be able to see that in my own little boy, like, mm. um, it it makes me really proud. And that's the and truth. that's coming. It's like the more fathers that 
cry in front of their sons, that's how it's going to change. Do you know, the more that the father is open and showing the emotion, that's because that's how we lead by example, you know, in terms of they see that. Well, if it's, it must be OK, if my big daddy is showing that he's gets afraid and he gets, you know, sad, well, then that's going to start to break that. So I think that the more dads out there listening to this, don't hide your emotion from your children. Yeah. Let them see it and be, you know, there's nothing <laughs> to be ashamed of. Yeah. And he's like that then. Dad, are you crying? <laughs> and then yeah. you're trying to explain to him and just say, listen, I feel like I, I'm crying because like the dog got knocked down or whatever. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know? Yeah. But there's yeah. something else I want to touch on as well there. Um, and I think it's very important is uh, the intergenerational shame stuff there. You know, the shame that's passed on. Um, like in my own family, it would have been passed on to myself through my mother who who carried it and it's my belief that eventually it actually she committed suicide because she 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 couldn't she couldn't handle the, the feelings of it you know you know and um, how does somebody actually uh, how, how does somebody go about getting help and dealing with intergenerational shame that's passed on you know the the it's hereditary like you know how how does someone deal with that Fiona if, 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 well first of all I'm very sorry to hear about your mother I didn't know that so yeah that's that's a, a very sad thing um yeah um well again it's like for example one of the I'm actually was just sending this I have it open by chance as the world and the universe always works with <laughs> us um and it's an exercise in my book the self-love habit you can see it there and it's called Become the Loving Link. I don't know if you can see that exercise, Become the Loving Link. And essentially, this is kind of going to what you're referring to. And what it does is it asks the, the client or the reader to uh, look at the the life of their parents, right, from a very different perspective to get an understanding. So, the loving link is where we break the link of trauma. We break the, the intergenerational link of passing this down as in hereditary. Now, I would argue that it's nurture rather than nature. OK, so that the more nurturing we can do, we're going to break that link um, or that negative shame, for example, by bringing it up into conscious awareness. So here you can see, like I, I basically ask the, the person to look at first of all, their mother's uh, perspective and then their father's and to really get to, to grips with it in a way that very few of us ever really do. And that is to look at our parents as people as opposed to mum or dad. As, as long as we keep looking at the mum and dad, we are going to be carrying whatever that shame or guilt is. We've got to look at them as this individual person, as a human being who has flaws like anybody else rather than carrying resentment and blame. So it really asks you to sort of look at, you know, what was their life like before you were born? What was their own childhood like? So you start to, like, again, get a really good understanding. How often do we do this? We kind of have a vague idea. I think they had three or four brothers. I don't know, you know, or, you know, there's not enough understanding about what was it like for them? Where did this shame, this trauma come from? Um. And then start to look at it through their eyes, you know, in terms of what impact that had on the choices they made. Uh, what what way did that make them behave? Was that why they got angry? Was that why they left the home? Why, what was it going on? And when you do that, you start to actually shift the um, energy from one that was 
negative, one that was blaming, one was that carrying that shame unintentionally, quite often, unconsciously, and bringing it up into the open so that you you actually then um, transform that into something that is much more loving and much more um, letting go because it has to one generation has to change it otherwise it will keep coming down um and i know that the work of james oliver i don't know if you know his he wrote a book um was it not in your genes or it's not in your genes i think it's it's called and he looks and examines how he can literally see like he looked at um the geldof family and he looked at you know there's a lot of suicide there in terms of mm. um the mother and then the the daughter and he examined that as a sort of case study, if you like, of how the the trauma was passed through. And so what we want is that it's you're getting in there and and you're becoming that loving link as opposed to becoming the uh, carrying it through. Yeah. So therapy really and awareness and exercises such as this are, yeah. are very helpful. Thank you, Fiona. Fiona, we have you nearly an hour. Have you any um, anything upcoming that you'd like to promote? Or like, it'd be great if you had. I know no will come back to normal, but if you had a seminar coming up, I'd love to attend myself. Even me too. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, well, yeah. actually, I have a. Um, I'm doing a public speaking webinar uh, in the 16th of June, and that is for people who just a bit like what you were saying, James, earlier, there's a lot of people fearful of going back into the workplace, uh, anxious about even social anxiety, you know, going to a barbecue, whatever it might be, and to help them to start to develop really practical strategies of how to feel at ease, how to prepare themselves, visualization, like I was talking about earlier. Um, So that is coming up um, on the 16th of June, um, and it'll be a 90-minute webinar that people can register for. It's donation-based model. Um, People are also very welcome to follow my online course that is free, the five-star course that I mentioned earlier the positive habit is there for everyone and anyone to enjoy and I really recommend the audios um are particularly helpful um because they work on that subconscious level so whatever you're studying you know in terms of the reading and the videos what is also with my books both of the books will come with hypnotherapy audios that supplement it and really reinforce and cement the learnings um so there's there's quite a lot there that i have for people um and i really try to make it as accessible and free and affordable because we need that's what we need right now we need everyone helping yeah. everyone yeah. you know that's it yeah look just so people can see it oh yes that's it yeah. yes yeah. so just in case so yeah. It's interesting you're talking about the public speaking because Timmy only asked me a couple of days ago because I do some public speaking, but Timmy's increasingly getting asked to do more. Uh, but he wouldn't be as comfortable or as confident. And he was asking me, maybe we could do a course on public speaking or yeah. we, we would look at Toastmasters or something like that. But I think this might be uh, something that would be beneficial to Timmy as well. Yeah, definitely. Yes, you're so yeah. welcome. You'd be great yeah. as a Timmy. You have a lovely energy. You. You'd, you'd be amazing. Thank you very Just much. Just a bit of practice. Honest. But um, we link all your books and webinars and everything 
in our description of the video on the podcast. We have our first birthday coming up soon, so we'll we'll give away a couple oh. of your copy. We, we'll get we'll buy a few of your books and give them away to some of the loyal fans. Oh, thank you! Thank yeah, you. congratulations! One year that is exciting, isn't it? I know a very quick year, but look, um, yeah. it was a real pleasure, real pleasure speaking to you. You've got a lovely energy, and it's no wonder people uh, like you. So well done on everything you've <laughs> achieved and everything you will achieve. Thank you, James, and Timmy as well. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you both. And you. God bless. Thank you very much, Fiona. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, Don't forget to like and subscribe. And don't forget to head over to the Patreon if you'd like to help us. Thanks again. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.